Welcome once again to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 44. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. And joining me today is Rob Park. He's an independent software consultant and an agile coach. And uh, uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, the show's great, like the content, so happy to be here. Cool. So, well, let's get, let's get right into it. Um, uh, I understand you've got uh, a lot of experience working in various kinds of remote or partially remote situations. You want to talk a little bit about your, your history? Uh, sure. I was, when I was thinking about, uh, like, where did I first run into some of this? I used to recall. So one of the things that happens with remoteness or where I got into it initially was, uh, teams trying to hang on to good talent you know, as well as maybe find good talent. So back in the 90s, I worked for a company where one of our guys moved from Boston to Minnesota. And so uh, all I remember is his answering machine message, which was, you know, so this is a long time ago, too. This is like, it seems to me we were still doing dial-up a lot of the time. Um, but it was the Minnesota branch where every day was casual day. So, <laughs> uh, And since then, I, I've, you know, so had, you know, jobs where we were, work from home occasionally you want to support like people that were um either you know people that moved and you wanted to keep them on the team i uh, actually worked with a team for like a year where the whole team was virtual um and so we did a lot of remote pairing with that team and uh and the the teams that i'm with now um one of them we work kind of remotely like i am today and um and then the other team it's yeah i'm actually one of the remote guys but there's several remote guys so I'm in Colorado and, and we have people in Massachusetts and Ohio and so kind of all over mm -hmm. the place. You mentioned, uh, remote pairing. Uh, talk to me about that because that's something that, uh, it doesn't seem like a, a, a ton of teams are, are practicing, at least not yet. Um, yeah, well, so, um, I guess I, I have a lot of, uh, background in XP and, and that sort of having that kind of background. That being um, extreme programming. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, probably have been, you know, started messing around that, but really did a lot of, uh, worked on a team kind of full-time extreme programming. Um, that was a co-located team, but, um, you know, maybe around 2004 or something like that. And I had been dealing with agile methods before then as well. Um, but yeah, then when I started working with this virtual team and we had, um, we did have some people in India as well. Um, that were a little more junior. We were trying to bring them up to speed. Um, but we had some pretty good craftsman type, um, developers in the U S, but we were, uh, spread across the country. And so, um, yeah, so I think the hardest thing with that was actually getting the, finding the right setup. But, um, but, you know, it just took a little bit of patience and figuring out what the right setup was. Or it seems to me at that time you'd have like occasional router issues where, um, all of a sudden VNC wouldn't connect anymore, but I think we primarily were using VNC for mm -hmm. screen sharing. Um, but it, I don't know, pair, pair programming to me, it, it's just a great way to get ideas to traverse the team a lot faster. Um, and for me, it's just a lot more fun to work that way. So mm -hmm. 
just learn to enjoy working that way. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of, that's how I ended up doing a lot of that. Um, actually the team I'm with now, we do a bunch of remote pairing as well. Um, you know, it seems to go in, in spurts, I suppose, but, um, uh, it's interesting when you, if you get into larger corporations, a lot of times they have sort of different screen share type capabilities that work. I, I did some work with an insurance company for a while where they had, um, actually still had Lotus notes. I didn't even know the product still existed, but, um, <laughs> but it actually has a, a built in type of screen sharing capability for meeting support and things. And I am, and, and the connectivity speed was great. I mean, one of the really important things to me when remote pairing is that the remote control actually be, um, performant, mm-hmm. you know, so that, although I don't think performance a word, we just talked about that at work the other day, <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? That, when you type, you actually see what you're typing as right. opposed to waiting for the delay. Uh, and so that worked really well with that. Um, and uh, actually using Windows Remote Assistance is, a, is remarkably good in that, that category as well. Hmm. Interesting. Is that what you're using now? Um, yeah. Yep. Although I've started using some of, um, there's a new Log Me In Join Me. Mm-hmm product that um, everything is in a, a web page and that that's uh, seems a little bit less secure mm-hmm. freaks some people out but um, but works really well um, connects well mm-hmm. and for being through a third party actually the the type response on the remote typer is also pretty good so oh, that's interesting seems yeah, like, seem like always a, the big one like if you go through um, if you'd go through say go to meeting or something like that if it had to go through some third-party routed server, that the typing would just screech to a halt. So, yeah, I've experienced that a lot. Um, so, uh, so you, when you're remote pairing, uh, you do like virtually swap the keyboard back and forth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Where where you have to uh, actually, I don't know which podcast if I heard that from your show, maybe um, of you know trying to have some etiquette about. Because you, know, <laughs> uh, you can't just rip the keyboard out from underneath the guy's hands. Although I, I think it seems like most pairing stations that I end up at, like next to the person, there's two keyboards these days. Right, uh, so you can still do that. Right, so you still kind of have to motion a little bit that I'm going to move the mouse now. But you, but you have that visual cue if you can see the person um, that they're actually grabbing the mouse, and so you know what's going on. Where remotely you don't have that same right that same benefit, so you kind of have to ask permission. But, um, but yeah, there's just a lot of times where, you know, you have an idea in your head and you want to express it and it's easier to express it with some code and then talk about it, um, rather than, um, try and explain or, you know, telling them to type some particular thing. Right. That just kind of kills it. Mm. So, um, you've got a pretty strong background in, like you said, XP and you, you've done agile coaching. Um, how does that inform the way you work with, uh, distributed or partially distributed teams? Well, I mean, you know, like the, uh, I don't know, the huge, huge thing or I don't know, it's a revelation to me a while back was that, you know, communication is everything like the whole, uh, you know, sitting in your cube or wanting a, 
a desk in an office where I can lock myself out and nobody can see me. Um, like <laughs> that just never worked really. Um, at least not for me. And so, uh, so the co-located type of, uh, team, it was, it, you know, it's one of those things of you can tell the health of an agile team by the, the buzz in the room. Mm-hmm. If, if you can hear a pin drop, there's probably something going wrong. Um, or, or, you know, there's something, some issue with the team anyways. Um, cause it, that seems rather abnormal to me. And so when you go to remote working, you don't have the same bandwidth of communication that you do with, um, people that you're sitting next to. So basically just exploring, you know, it keeps you looking for every possible angle that you can communicate. It seems like every team I work with is different about how they'll, you know, what things they'll go for and which things they're more comfortable with communicating. But, um, yeah, you just kind of have to keep experimenting because the communication is what's really important. Right. Um, is that whole, the, the keyboard is not the bottleneck, right? So, um, yeah. So can you give some examples of like the different ways, different teams have chosen to c- communicate? Uh, well, you know, and I think I've heard other episodes too, where people talk about having an open chat room or an IRC channel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know with that one virtual team that I was on, we had a, an open Skype room, um, that just stayed on, especially where we had people in India too. So we kind of had people on all day long. Um, but that was, that was kind of a nice thing because then it was easy to find people. Um, if you couldn't find them in the chat room, then you weren't going to find them anywhere else. Um, so that, that's been helpful. Um, other teams there, I, I find that that chat room will kind of die. Uh, if, if people don't actually participate, like then, you know, chat room doesn't really do you much good. But, um, so with other teams, sometimes it's just a lot of IM, um, Actually, the one team I'm working with now, they, they still seem to have some strange appeal for email, which is weird, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, so, but it kind of comes back to you. Just do what, what, wherever you're going to find people. Um, I'm, I'm probably one of the only people on the whole team that has my email notification turned off. So I know that, um, I know I can find other people that way. Um, so yeah, and, you know, it's just, Different IM tools in different places. Um, I guess that's, you know, pretty, pretty standard stuff, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So, and now let's see, you said you are, you're working like what, mostly from an office now, but, but like a day a week at home or what? Uh, yeah. So with my, uh, yeah, I'm working that, that's about right. Um, I do some side work too, where the side work is out of state. So that's all, all done remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so my other stand-up meeting that I attend every day uh, is via phone. But how does that how does that go when you're? I mean, how do you like that doing stand-ups via phone? Uh, well, I mean, I'm kind of used to it now from doing it for so long. Um, I actually I used to like it when I was doing coaching and I'd be on site most of the week, mm-hmm. and there'd be one or two days a week that I wouldn't be on site. Um, it actually was kind of good because it, it's one of those things where if you have remote people, uh, it's probably a good idea to try being remote once in a while so that you can sort of see what it's like on the other side. Right. Uh, right. Because, you know, a, a lot of teams, you know, it's not the most advanced equipment for um, for having a conference call. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and also I think it, I don't know, it keeps in my head anyways that uh, like if somebody is not on their headset or whatever that they, um, 
that you need to repeat the question with somebody that is so that, you know, um, so that whoever's on the phone can actually hear and try and follow along what's going on. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that, that's pretty much the thing. It's kind of interesting in the one where we're mostly co-located, um, you know, we have an office anyways, and most of us go into the office most of the week, but mm-hmm. we all wear headsets for, um, for stand-up meetings. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it's always been the case that our product managers have not been co-located. So mm-hmm. that's been a little bit of a challenge in general, but. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, that's who you want access to a lot of the time. So that does make it more difficult. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's not, not your traditional scrum board or, or, uh, um, you know, or kind of XP type planning board. It, it's more of a Kanban style board that has a column. Or a couple of columns specifically to make sure that they at least get, you know, we gate on them and they know it, so they know they can hold up the whole deal if they don't pay attention. So, hmm. so we okay. definitely, you know, it's kind of enforced contact a little bit that way, but um, but that that's mostly, you know, as a like we try not to rely on that, right? But um, can you actually expand on that a little bit because I, I know um, I and and possibly some of the listeners are, you know, I think. Where most people, uh, you know, in the, in this industry know about agile, like, you know, agile and like pivotal tracker and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm a little less familiar with Kanban and how that process works. Or I'm sure I just botched the pronunciation. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the right pronunciation is. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I was really pretty into it for a while of, uh, you know, setting whip limits and, and things like that. So, you know, so we have columns on the board, but I think like in, um, in say more traditional scrum, you have kind of your, your ready queue, the stuff that you've pulled for that you've uh, committed to for your sprint. And then you can kind of pull in whatever you want as, you know, whatever you're actually working on, you put in your work in process and then you have your done bucket. Um, for us, we try, we keep whip limits on the stories that are actually in process. So, um, so for our team of say five developers, there's only, uh, or maybe there's six developers and we have a whip limit of three, so we can't work on more than three stories at a time mm-hmm. um, in general, which kind of enforces pairing for one, but um, but that's kind of what we want to do anyways. And um, and it also kind of it, it enforces, so if things get blocked, you have um, you know some issue, you're waiting on somebody else, you don't go start something else while you're waiting for the answer from somebody. It's kind of raising or elevating the importance of the issue and making sure that you you don't have a lot of these issues. We we don't tend to have a lot of issues, which is why we can sort of live with such a low whip limit. But um, but yeah, so there's there's that. Um, I guess the other thing is that it, it has evolved. It, it doesn't evolve as much anymore. And I guess teams that I've introduced this to before, um, um, you know. Early on, there's kind of like this evolutionary process, which is actually one of the th- reasons that I really am still kind of old school and really prefer doing things on a whiteboard or something or a wiki. If you have to be like when I was virtual, it was all done on a wiki. So it's very fluid. So you can change stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also have like, uh, defect tracking and everything else in Jira and, um, and, and that's just now that that's very, been very much in process for a while. It's kind of hard to change. So, um, so it was very helpful to get the process ironed out and which columns we want and, um, and like what the workflow really is 
for any given story or any given feature mm-hmm. um, to get that all ironed out on a whiteboard because that was pretty easy to change. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think, you know, in the past when I worked for with an XP team that were, we kind of evolved to this um, we, with our, after our weekly planning meeting, um, we actually used to take the cards off the whiteboard, erase the whiteboard, and then redraw everything um, when we'd come back from planning. And, and that was kind of cool because it um, it almost kind of forced you to at least reevaluate how you drew the board, um, which was good in terms of making things, uh, you know, keeping things current, not 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 letting things get stale. Right. Is usually, I don't know, in my experience, pretty healthy to do. Do you um do you have a physical whiteboard still for these? Uh, we do currently. We actually have a big giant touchscreen monitor sitting on a desk right now that's currently in process. So that may be changing, but, um, but yeah, at least at the office we have physical whiteboards, um, you know, magnetic whiteboards. So if you want to move, move a task over, or if you just want to see the state of the whiteboard and you're working remotely, what do you do? Uh, we have webcams set up on all of the whiteboards. Oh, wow. You can see the actual whiteboard, um, if you're connected um, but yes, it, right. If I want to move it, I mean, I can move it in Jira, but, um, but really the, the whiteboard is considered the source of truth. And so, um, so you have to contact somebody in the office or, okay. or, do, it, or do it tomorrow <laughs> if nobody's on. <laughs> but usually there's somebody in the office. And so it's usually pretty easy to get a hold of somebody and, and people are, you know, very willing to get up and move the card over for you. Right. That's awesome that you have they have webcams on all the boards. That's a really neat idea. Yeah. Otherwise, at home, I, I sort of have my own little personal Kanban, which is a piece of sheet metal from Home Depot that I screwed into the wall. Works hmm. great. Can you have magnets on it? Yep. You can use magnets and you can use post-it notes. They both do very well. <laughs> nice. Nice. Cheaper than so, when you're remote and you do a stand-up, do you stand up? Uh, it's funny. Um, one of them I don't <laughs> usually. <laughs> But uh, that one, um, no, actually, uh, often I don't, but I have uh, taken the habit of, uh, I actually started getting into this habit where I, because I'm on my phone and uh, and I have a Bluetooth headset, and so I go out and I walk around the dog yard with the dogs while I'm listening on the phone, and I just actively mute, and, you know, dogs barking in the background occasionally gets a good laugh, too, so you never know. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I find that um, even though I'm like wandering around outside and looking around, I do tend to probably pay attention better to what's going on language-wise. When you're, when you're up and walking it. around. Yeah, like well, yeah. just not being in front of my computer, anyways. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if other people find that too. But like, if there's somebody that's hard to understand, I find myself like squinting to try and really listen hard. Like that's gonna help. Right. It helps sometimes a little bit. <laughs> Right. Well, I definitely have the problem of yeah of you know losing my focus when I'm sitting in front of the of the screen, and it's one of the reasons I think it's so important to have a uh, a headset a, a wireless headset. It's funny we were we were talking about this before the before the show because um because you were having some issues uh, getting your your Bluetooth headset to talk to the computer, but uh, but it's I think it's definitely worthwhile to have that because you know you, you can get up and wander around a bit and. And it helps um, distract you from whatever is going on on Twitter or whatever. 
Yeah, right. Because yeah, USB is definitely a tether. Um, and uh, yeah, and otherwise, I, I actually originally went over to it because the cat kept getting tangled up in the. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I've pretty much I've Practical pretty much reason. banned my cat from from the office. <laughs> She's a little bit too demanding. <laughs> that would be a cat. <laughs> <laughs> So would you uh would you join would you do a, a fully uh a fully distributed team again or um or was that was that too problematic? Uh no I would. I mean um yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean I think some people might get a little bit stir crazy like being in their house all the time, but um you know if um like you can't really do the remote pairing thing very well if you go to Starbucks. Like that doesn't work out. But right. getting it once in a while, um, yeah, I used to do that. So that that would be pretty easy to do. Or if you have you know connection issue at home or something like that. But um, but yeah, I find it. I don't know. It's pretty pretty natural, at least for a company. You know, or at least for teams that are willing to accept the fact that you know that there's somebody that's not right sitting there. Ever, you know, that they just can tap on their shoulder. Um, yeah, right. it's actually probably gotten, you know, it seems as years go by, it gets easier and easier. You know, like I was saying back in the 90s, I mean, dealing with dial-up, like that was no fun whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and also having to worry about like, you know, do I call you? Do you call me? Like, because you're worried about who's getting charged or whatever. But um, but now, you know, things are much smoother or so it seems. And I guess... Yeah. That's been, well, that's been my experience anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, a lot of large companies anyways, you know, they kind of have their VPNs, at least the last several that I've worked at, the, the VPN is already pretty much set up. They've already kind of designed it this way. So, um, so like the thing, things of having to like fight with a router that's natting inside your house or something like that, um, not really, um, I haven't had those kinds of issues for a while. So, um, those are always the biggest hassle of, you know, of having anything virtual is that just somebody might randomly go offline, which I guess is more reason to be uh, pairing on more stuff um, mm-hmm. whenever you can to make sure that nothing is, you know, you don't want something critical locked on somebody's computer that can't talk to you. <laughs> do you ever, t- do you ever have trouble uh, with the pairing? Like uh, just like getting, getting synced up. I mean, we, we spent a few minutes uh, sort of going back and forth be- before this call. Do you ever, um, have trouble just getting synced up with someone for a remote pairing session um, or any other issues like that? It seems like the, those issues, I mean, yeah, the, those come a lot, like if you change something, say get a new headset, but um, but if but you... Like, just like the scheduling of it, I mean... Yeah. You know, since you can't like, like walk over to somebody's desk and grab them or just like sit down, you know, do you ever have, tr- have trouble with that? I don't think, I haven't had that much trouble with that um, more recently. I um, with uh, one team where we were virtual all the time, we were actually trying to, you know, consistently rotate our pairs, so sort of in a promiscuous pairing mm-hmm. style. And so the trick there was being in different time zones and things of needing. So we actually just established a schedule of, you know, we're going to switch or we're going to try and switch at these you know, like two or three times during the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but the, the one understanding that kind of comes with that is you, yeah, you just got to be flexible with how it's going to go and have some 
have some patience. If the other person isn't there and doesn't show up, then just keep doing what you're doing and, and not get too stressed about it. Um, I've tried this, you know, introducing promiscuous pairing to other teams before too. And, and that was actually a one stress point was that a couple of people were just like stressed. Like I have a doctor appointment. How can I go? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Just go to the doctor. Like, that's fine. We'll figure it out. We'll clue you in when you get back. Um, you know, that's, you that's one of the big benefits to the promiscuous pairing is that, you know, knowledge just flies around the team when you do that kind of stuff. So, right. Did you just have like a rotation schedule or something like that that determined how, you know, who, who was pairing next or? To some degree. I mean, it wasn't so much the rotation schedule. The important part was having a scheduled switch time so that okay. you, cause you do have to plan ahead a little bit. At least that's what I found to, you know, you need to know, uh, especially if you don't have pairing stations for everything. I mean, mm-hmm. it, this is of course if you're co-located. Um, if you don't have pairing stations, then you have to get the code from my machine to your machine. And we have to know who's going to be, who's staying and who's going. And, right. And, and you kind of, you know, you need to be in a decent position to do that, even mentally. Um, it was helpful just to know about when those points were going to come up. And, and also dealing with different people's schedules. So mm-hmm. It all depends on the team and the context. And I know that's a very consultant-ish answer, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh takes patience. So I mean, you know, the time would ro- would roll around, and and you just say who's who wants to pair with me, something like that. Uh, well, it, it it kind of, I guess, I didn't really run into too much of like the problem isn't usually about where am I going. The problem's usually about who's leaving, and if if people okay. haven't thought in advance of, you know, who's leaving, you know, or they haven't, fit, you know or that they still have their head too far into the story that they're currently on. Um, switching stories, switching off is more of the problem than switching on. But once you get the, once they've sort of, you know, I guess made the switch in their brain, uh, you know, f- figuring out who is going to be on the other one. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess typically the teams that I've been doing this with, they've been smaller in general. So six or eight people. So there's only like two or three choices of where you're going to go anyway. So, um, and, and trying to keep it, uh, you know, keep your distribution pretty wide mm-hmm. um, in terms of if I, if I was just on that story, well, I'm not going to go right back to it kind of thing, you know, unless needed. And mm-hmm. those kind of contexts come up too, you know, just depends on the situation. I'm digging into this because, I mean, I've, I've been in the situation in the past, even with a co-located team where I was trying to encourage more pairing and, you know, um, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm, you know, ready. To, who wants to pair with me? And, you know, the response would be kind of a resounding meh, um, which could yeah. just be a, could just be a commentary on, on, uh, <laughs> you know, my own <laughs> lack of, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, my own, uh, hygiene or something, you know, something terrible like that. But, uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't like other people were pairing either. It was just kind of, um, uh, you know, the, it was hard to get that momentum started. And I've, I've just found that for distributed, in my experience with distributed teams, you, you kind of take that and you multiply it by some number because it's, it's, it's even harder to, to get that momentum started. I'm kind of, kind of curious, you know, your perspective as a, as somebody who's coached this, coached pairing into existence. Um, you know, if you have any insights on, on just making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, cause the thing that, seems like, or maybe it's just happened more recently for me is that, um, you get, uh, like, especially if your stories tend to run longer, um, you know, and I know like the, 
the real recommendation of what I think a lot of people like to, you know, they'd like to have stories that, you know, maybe they, I finish a story in a few hours or at least a few days, but we have some stories that will just go on for, you know, a week or more. Um, I think our current times actually are in the week and a half area. So, so they go, they stay pretty big and they run pretty long and you get two people that are really dug into one, um, you know, almost entrenched. Like it's hard to break up a pair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so that tends to be the, the harder, harder thing right now. But I know what you mean. Like, uh, for teams that aren't pairing often, um, yeah, it's like, so anybody want to pair with me on this? And, you know, and it's kind of, silence um and occasionally somebody um will will sort of jump into the mix it's definitely much easier if kind of everybody is is pairing um i imagine that like i've you know heard stories at, at pivotal and stuff like that that they i mean it's just kind of assumed that everybody is right so right um so just seems like it's pretty natural when that that's the case and so uh so we're able to enforce it a little bit with with Whipplemits where i am now um, and I was, uh, I guess I was kind of in charge with that virtual team. So, um, it was kind of somewhat understood. I mean, I hired those guys originally with the impression that they, that we would be pairing as okay. much as we, as much as we could, um, understanding that we wouldn't be able to always, but, but we were fine with that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so it almost was like a, a ground rule for the, the team in general that you would be, be pairing as much as possible. And then did you just just try to like encourage and facilitate from there? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, and it, it, um, and you know, when you had we had an odd number of people, so there would always be somebody out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, it was pretty typical that either I'd be getting pulled away for, you know, some other thing by uh, sales or support or something like that. So, um, so they they would be even, and then. Um, I was able to just to butt in whenever, um, you know, because with an open chat room, you can kind of just ask what's going on. And if there's any issues, like, yeah, it would just be like being in a co-located team where you just, you know, sort of gather together for five or ten minutes and mm-hmm. come up with a game plan to get through that issue. And then they're right back at it. So, Gotcha. So, um, I don't know, are there any, any other... Um tips and tricks or, or words of wisdom that you've picked up um, in your court in the course of, of working remotely, anything else that comes to mind? Well, I guess the, I mean the, I think the, the one big thing, you know, and this probably started early on in terms of me being influenced this way, but um, I've always just seen this whole remote thing as a, it's kind of a necessity. I mean, look around, like so many people are looking for, for good devs these days. And, um, you just, you have to be able to cast a pretty wide net to be able to find somebody that that's going to work out well with your team. And so, um, that's even harder to do if you're going to force them to be located at your facility or, you know, in your town kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so enabling remote, uh, workers, you know, allows you to be able to attract better talent and allows you to be able to, you know, just keep, um, well, it just allows you to be able to find people, um, that are, mm-hmm. you know, that aren't necessarily right, right where you are or don't want to move to right where you are. Um, and so I think in that respect, it still runs to sometimes like companies that are treating it like it's a privilege to work at home. Right. Where, um, 
where I don't necessarily, I mean, I guess in some respect, yeah, it's nice to be working at home, but, um, but it, it's not just a privilege, right? It, it's, I mean, in my, my perspective, it's like they kind of need to do this if, if they're looking to hire more people and they want to keep good, talented people, uh, for a longer period of time. Um, it's kind of a necessity. So, right. Well, Rob, uh, before I let you go, where can people find you, uh, and, and the stuff that you do online? Uh, yeah, so I, I know I was saying I don't really have this huge web presence, but, uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Rob Park, uh, all one word, no, no special characters. And, uh, and otherwise I do, um, I hang out on a couple of the Google groups and Yahoo groups or whichever groups they are these days, um, particularly on the, the Cucumber list a lot. There's a Kanban dev list. Mm-hmm. Um, the XP and TDD lists have been a little quieter over the years, but um, but that's pretty much the place to find me, I guess. All right, awesome. Well, Rob, uh, thanks, thanks again for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Avi. And that's our show today. I hope you've enjoyed it. To subscribe to the show, if you haven't already, or to check out more interviews and articles about remote work, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store, where reviews are very welcome. I am seeking a sponsor or sponsors for this podcast to help me keep great interviews like the one you just heard going up every week. If you or your company might be interested in sponsoring the show, please email me at contact at wideteams.com. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Opti Grimm signing off. Wow,